Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Superchargers, headlights, and more. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. With over 122 million parts and eBay guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Plus, with prices that don't break the bank, you can stay on your A-game. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Volume. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 and Out Podcast, back again to talk a little football. The National Football League, NFL Draft, Odell Beckham Jr., Lamar, uh, Sean Payton. Is he going to fire his GM? A lot of different stuff going on all over the league. We got you covered, because that's what we do here. We podcast about football. Very, very excited. Exciting show. A lot to discuss uh, here's the game plan. We'll have a football podcast today. We will have a go-low podcast tomorrow. We have a lot of go-low merch. Uh, Adidas polos with go-low logo. Looks really sweet. Some trucker hats. Check out the Volumes website. Uh, if you, you want to get some merch, I think it looks pretty good. I got some on tr- in transit to me right now. And um, yeah, so you, you need some golf polos, man. I got you covered. And then Friday, we will have more football. So some football podcasts coming down the pike. We'll just keep talking ball right up through the draft and then through OTAs, and we don't really stop because we go 365. Well, not 365, but several times a week. And, uh, of course, the Middlecoff mailbag will be today. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. I'll answer a bunch of your questions. It's just my name. Add it. Put an at symbol in front of it. DM's wide open. So any questions you have, football. Uh, we, we put out a... Every weekend, usually on Sunday. So if you if you miss it because, hell, it was Easter, don't blame you. Probably busy. I put out a mailbag every Sunday. So if you need something throughout the week, you can go back to listen to that as always. You never know what questions you're going to get. I got a pretty crazy hypothetical, which I think was kind of real. So just it doesn't just have to be football. You can do life questions. Uh, I, I, I enjoy, hell, off-the-wall stuff. So uh, fire in those DMs, and uh, let's talk some ball. Uh, do you want to get out of the house? Do you want to do something fun? I got you covered. The NBA playoffs are starting. The NHL playoffs are starting. Baseball, rocking and rolling, baby. You want to get outside of the house, download the Game Time app. Download the fastest growing ticket app in America, which also happens to be the official ticketing app of the show, 3 and Out Podcast, as well as Go Low, because you guys are hammering this promo code. Promo code John, J-O-H-N, my name, easy to use. Get you $20 off any pair of tickets. And listen, these inflationary times, prices outrageously high, everything we do, 
trying to save you a couple bucks. Don't thank me. Just use the promo code, promo code John. Download the Game Time app, promo code John, $20 off. Comedy, concerts as well. I'm going to several concerts this summer. Can't wait. You should too. Love my friends at Game Time. Utilize my promo code. Appreciate everyone that has. Okay, the big story of the weekend, uh, which let's face it, was kind of an eye opener. <laughs> I, I think it made most of most of us go, "Wait, they gave him how much?" Was Odo Beckham Jr. That you know, at first we, I mean, I guess we, we are not because every single year when contracts get announced in the NFL, people are like, "Oh my god, oh wow!" And then we find out the actual money. But it was pretty immediately tweeted out that he was given fifteen million dollars, and I've been saying forever. Like, that's crazy. He's not going to get that much money. Well, Odell Beckham, his agent, his representation, kudos to them because they knew that they had a market or there was all it takes is one desperate team and they clearly found one. And I've been I've been stewing on this and thinking about it for about 24 hours now. And it really kind of hit me. This all gets back to the quarterback situation. And there are so many different ways in the NFL to essentially screw up your quarterback situation, right? A lot of teams typically draft guys really high that can't play. Happens all the time. In the history of the league, countless guys that get drafted in the top 10, top 15, top 20 that become starters turn out to not be very good. It is, it's an inexact science. You are drafting human beings at definitely in, in 2023, you know, the most important position in all of sports. One of the most talked about, it, it is the most talked about position in sports. And clearly the pressure that comes along with that. And then you've seen like over the years, teams that draft a player who I think we all have to acknowledge is good. Carson Wentz, or at least is very talented, Tyler Murray, and then extend the guy. And for whatever reason, it's kind of a disaster. The Eagles are the rare team. And I I put the Rams in here too. Uh, We'll see how the Stafford situation plays out. But both were able to get off quarterbacks who we thought couldn't play. Now, Jared Goff has aged well. Carson Wentz, clearly something's way off there. And and Kyler Murray, big-time work in progress, though definitely physically gifted, though short, has some work ethic questions, even as former general manager Steve Kime told Chris Long, like, yeah, film study, work ethic, like, that's an area that could improve. Like, not ideal, like, in your fourth, fifth year at, at quarterback. And that's what makes, you know, figuring out the quarterback situation so difficult, all these different variables. Talent, character, football intellect, teammate, leadership. It's all kind of rolled up into one. Like as a pass rusher, it's like, can can you beat one-on-one blocks? <laughs> right? Can, can you pressure the edge? Uh as a slot receiver, like can you get open over the middle? Like it's pretty basic. Like you don't have to be the best teammate. <laughs> like it's just can you function at quarterback? You got to check all these boxes. And listen, the Ravens, however they stumbled upon Lamar, I have heard people say on podcasts that it was the owner that pushed the Ravens brass to do it. Other people have said, you know, Ozzy liked him the whole time. They knew his value. Regardless how that happened, he ended up on their team and he became a really good quarterback. And listen, I've been hard on Lamar in from the, uh, the angle of like, listen, having some representation when you start talking about enormous deals, right? I don't care if you're selling a beer distributorship, if you're buying a commercial building, or if you're an NFL quarterback. Once you start talking about 100, 150, 200 million dollars, you need help. Especially when in business, people do deals all the time and they still get lawyers and representation to help them 
close and negotiate and write up these contracts. Having Lamar with his mother, to me, is not a good situation. It's not smart business. Now, that being said, it is on the Ravens and their general manager, once they find a quarterback they like, who is very, very talented, good, good guy, like checks a lot of boxes. Is he perfect? Of course not. But they're in this situation now that, let's face it, is pretty messy. Like, it's just been pretty ugly. And unlike Kyler Murray, who they got the contract done, it felt like they immediately regretted it. Would they have to overpay a little bit for Lamar if they would have paid him a couple years ago when we still had some questions? Of course. But let's face it, if they could redo that, when Josh Rosen, excuse me, not Josh Rosen, who's had a bizarre career, I mean, bounced around on practice squads, you're going to look up and Josh Rosen is going to play in the league for like a decade, uh, won't have thrown any regular season passes beside his rookie year. But Josh Allen was extended after his third year, right? And got a big contract, just like Patrick Mahomes, just like Herbert and Burrow potentially will be this offseason. That at the time with Lamar, if you had just done that well before some of these deals like Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson, he'd be under contract and the situation wouldn't be messy. I remember when J.J. Watt was signed with the Arizona Cardinals, and I thought, God, they gave him $22 million. They paid him a ton. And I remember hearing later, I think their general manager said, like one of the reasons, maybe someone wrote about it, is they quote-unquote overpaid. Now, J.J. was still good when healthy on the team, and this year he had double-digit sacks. This year he was very productive. But it was like, remember, it was, he should go to the Green Bay Packers. They're a player away, but they didn't. They could only offer him 5 or $6 million. And then he gets all this money from the Arizona Cardinals. It's like, oh, why would the Cardinals give him that much money? And a big reason was they needed leadership because they didn't have it with their quarterback. So they had to supplement it other ways. And when you overpay for a quarterback in whatever in for whatever reason, you got to supplement the things they're missing. Ideally, you get a top line quarterback, you pay them a premium, and you don't really think about it. They elevate a lot of other stuff, right? Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, what Joe Burrow does, Patrick Mahomes, you know, what we see in Josh Allen, we'll see Justin Herbert. But I think a lot of us that would bet on him big picture would say that, but he still needs to prove some stuff. And you look at this Lamar situation. Unlike these guys that have gotten their contract extended, they're still, they're just not seeing eye to eye. And now it's so messy. It's so ugly. They're having to do things like pay Odell Beckham Jr., who is hurt all the time. I mean, all the time, $15 million for one season. Now, you hear a lot of players complain like, you know, the owners are just pocketing the money. That's not the way the NFL works. Like, no team is like the A's or the Tampa Bay Rays in the NFL where their salary, you know, where they're paying 80% less than some of these other teams. That's not the way it works. So this money gets distributed one way or the other. But how you distribute your money in the NFL matters. And it felt like they had to do this out of desperation to just try to get Lamar in somewhat of their good graces. Reports have been that they have been talking, that Lamar had been recruiting them. And because this situation has gotten so messy, and let's face it, Eric DaCosta, I think we have to question how good he is at his job. Because part of your job, and this is the one thing I've come around at, even though, that, like I said earlier, Lamar's mom being the being the representation is stupid. Like, that's just, it's kind of low level. But it's on Eric DaCosta when you're the GM to figure out and navigate these situations. And now they're so far down the road on this ugliness and messiness with Lamar and years away from when they could have extended him. And now the number's so outrageous. You have to do things like 
sign Odell Beckham Jr. for $15 million. Someone that you just cannot depend on to stay healthy. And you could also argue his skill set, does that necessarily go with Lamar Jackson? Who is, to me, I would sign so I could utilize uh, slot receivers and tight ends because he does most of his work and he's really good as a passer You know, between the numbers. To me, Odell Beckham Jr. has always been an outside wide receiver. Now, maybe as he's aged and coming back from these injuries, his speed won't be there and he's going to have to utilize the middle of the field. But to me, that's a little bit of a question mark. <laughs> like what Odell Beckham, if you're giving a guy $15 million, you're expecting them to be a very, very dynamic player. And I, I think this just proves that the Ravens got themselves in a situation and their general manager that feels like it's just kind of low-level business. And if we're going to be critical of Lamar, I think we got to be critical of the Ravens, who no one's had a better PR campaign uh, in the history of the league than Eric DaCosta can can work the sources and Florio and the boys pretty well over the years. But like this, the one position that I'm not really into fucking around with, you saw the, the football team, they were the Redskins at the time, did it forever with Kirk Cousins. And it's just like, what are we doing? Now, ideally, everyone's shooting for the next Mahomes. There's probably not going to be a next Mahomes. So when you get a guy that you believe in, it's on you in the front office to just make that guy known that he's like your guy and take care of this years before. Because they kind of pinch pennies and now they find themselves in the situation that they got to pay Odell Beckham Jr. to keep Lamar Jackson happy. Like not an ideal uh, way to conduct business. One thing that I always enjoyed in uh, like the coolest part of the NFL, like working in it, was this time of year. And when all the scouts that lived all over the country would come into the building and, and you'd meet, and that's what's going on right now all over the NFL. And different teams do it different ways. There's different you know, hierarchies, right? Some teams are run by the general manager. Some teams, the majority of teams now, the head coach is the decision maker. Some teams, like the Chiefs are a good example, where obviously Andy's at the top of the hierarchy, but Brett Veach runs the draft, just like the Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll's obviously the top of the hierarchy. John Schneider runs the draft. Now, you do it in in unison. You utilize your coaches, your position coaches, definitely your coordinators. You, you like to be on the same page, but it, it just it depends team to team. But the one thing that is going on right now is you are really hammering home your draft board and who you liked all season long, what has happened, and what has taken place over the last couple months at the pro days, at the combine, the information that has come out, any character questions, any off-the-field questions, things that you have learned about a player. I, I actually talked to a uh, like a number two in command at a team. That I, and I listen, I'm not here to just totally shit on the player, so I'm not going to name him, but said this is a pretty polarizing player in this draft. That said in, in the 15 minute interview at the combine, the dude told like five lies. And that's the thing in the NFL, once you get to the combine and the pro days, you have a lot of the information. So you know when you're asking a question, what the answer should be. And certain players, and listen, the majority of football players, especially at the combine, but I'd even say in the NFL, are not guys getting in trouble. I mean, I mean it's a small percentage of the league that even has like legit question marks about them. And when the players that do don't give you the answers, it concerns teams. And it's why that you read about certain players every single year that are off draft boards. And uh, sometimes you never know if it's true because it's not like we ever get that information. 
But there are certain players, when you read the headline, you're like, yeah, it's very plausible. And I think right now, the, the goal of any team is twofold. It's to find how good the player is and how good he will be. Like, can he be a starter for your team? How good is his talent? Can he immediately help as a rookie on special teams? Can he play in on nickel defenses? Can he be a nickel corner? Can he be my second tight end? Can he be my starting right guard? Like, you got to figure out the talent. And then, obviously, the talent slash the scheme fit. Like, does he fit what you're doing? And then the character stuff. But one thing that you hear a lot of people that used to work in the NFL often say is about, like, don't worry so much where his value is in the draft. I hate it when I hear he's a third rounder. He's a sixth rounder. What does that mean? And I've always thought, yeah, no, that kind of matters, right? I, I don't know what, whatever industry you're in, if you're listening to this, right? Whether it's, you know, uh, sales, whether it's uh, you're a doctor, whether you're in the stock market, would you rather pay $500,000 for something or $75,000 for the same thing? Well, of course, you'd rather pay the least amount of money possible for the thing that you want. And that is a huge element of the draft. It's a market value, right? Even if I like the player and I go, you know what? I think this guy is going to be an immediate starter for me. I think this guy at minimum is going to rotate in my defensive line. Well, if you knew like no one's taking this guy in the top 100 picks, I'm going to be able to get this guy in the fourth rounder in the fourth round. Would you just take that guy in the second round because you loved him? Of course not. Now, we could argue if the scout should worry about that, if that's a, you know, a GM only situation and mindset. And I I understand that, though I do like my scouts to who are on the road, who are spending a ton of time with other teams. One thing that has changed dramatically since I was in the NFL, when you went into a school when I was in the league, it was right as iPads and everything were kind of taking over. You went in there in the morning and typically watched film. Right. You would go for a couple hours, depending on the breakdown of that day with that at Oregon or Texas or USC or whatever. If they practiced after lunchtime, you would show up at 738 and typically for a couple hours, watch tape. And typically in that room would be several other scouts. And the cool part is just about being some random, you know, regional scout is a GM might be sitting in there. An assistant GM might be sitting in there like some decision maker. And you you never know who you get to meet. And for the most part, you see a lot of similar faces because there are a lot of regional scouts that just kind of go school to school at kind of the same rate. But you would all be in there together. And then as the day went on, you would meet with the strength coach. You would meet with the pro liaison, which depending on the school could be like, a, you know, director of ops or it could be, you know, a, a coach. And their their job is basically to give you the rundown on the player, good and bad, about their background, how they grew up, their personality, their character. You'd meet with academics. You'd meet with a lot of different people throughout the day. And one thing I'm told now is the tape study as a group now doesn't really happen in college. Why? Because everything is so just sent to the iPad. You just watch the tape on your own. And this, he's a little bit of an older, you know, executive. And he said, you know, the one thing that I wonder if we miss when I was in the league, if you watched a receiver, even if the guy was not like some high end guy, like he was a late round pick. You would just watch the game, and as the game went on, you would just evaluate him. You wouldn't, you know, if he got three catches in the game, you didn't necessarily know when those catches came. So you would watch him run routes, you'd watch him block. Well, my guy was like, nowadays, 
and and listen, I don't blame anyone for doing this, but this is this is not an ideal way to scout. Is people just watch the targets, right? Well, when's he thrown to? Right, his catches. You obviously in targets, you see drops, you see overthrows, you, you see it all, but you don't watch him start to finish in a game. And one thing I learned right when I got really into football is in college football, Pat Hill used to be kind of anti highlight tapes because anytime you just watch a highlight tape, it doesn't prove to you what the player is. Right, late in games. Uh, in a blowout, is he still trying? Because you wouldn't watch that, right, in a highlight tape. You just only watch the good. And there are different ways to do cut-up tapes. You could just watch a guy, point of attack. Like if I'm watching a defensive tackle, uh, runs to his side, his pass rushes. Obviously, you would want to watch segmented cut-ups of an individual. But I do think it's very healthy to watch start-to-finish games, right? You would definitely do that on a quarterback. But you don't have to do that anymore on a receiver or a defensive lineman. You can just watch when they're in on the action. And I think a lot of people are kind of going through that. So it's changed the way that this whole process of evaluating people, because they don't, you don't really watch it as a group anymore. And just because you're watching it as a group doesn't mean like you and the dude from another team are talking about it while it's going, even though you have friendly banner. And listen, I, I think the scouting community, like a lot of industries, the longer you're in it, I, I think can be, can tend to be a little negative, right? We all get a little jaded to our job. I mean, listen, I, I'm very fortunate, uh, even though, you know, I worked, I created this, uh, but to be to get to do what I do, right? I, you know, I, again, like I, I went into this, I didn't make a lot of money in my 20s, but I, I feel I get to do something I like to do. Uh, I make enough money to support myself and things are going well, but you can still get angry about things you've got to do in that said business, right? Even if you're quote unquote passionate and it's, it's a love of yours that you get to do something that you really enjoy for work. That doesn't mean that you can't get down on things. And I think scouting is the same way. And that's why during this time of draft meetings that you kind of hear everything in these rooms, people that don't like players, people that like players. And, you know, if you have the West Coast and your job is to evaluate, like when I did it, I had basically from El Paso up to Washington, all the Pac-12 schools, all the Mountain West schools. And when you get high draft picks, other, you know, executives in your scouting department, uh, over the top scout, a scouting director would also watch those guys. And then once the offseason hit, your general manager would watch that, your director of pro would watch that. So you've had a lot of different people that have access to having opinions on this player come right now, right now, your receiver coach or your offensive coordinator, a lot of opinions are flying and you feel the most, I would say close to players in your area because you know that those coaching staffs, well, you have been in the facility. You've probably spent time with the individual. You've gone to games to watch this guy live depending on what school the guy's in, you kind of watched his maturation as a prospect. So right now there's a lot of, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say butting heads, but the best organizations right now are arguing over things. How good is the guy? Should we draft him? If he's there in a certain round, is he worth it? And that's what you're trying to figure out. And the, the coolest part about this entire process is for all the information that you have right now, on several years of college film, of meeting the player, of interviewing the player, of potentially bringing him in on a visit, of watching him play live in games, of seeing him at the Senior Bowl. In three or four years, the guy that you think might be really good might suck. And the guy that you think kind of stinks might be really good. 
And it's the same formula every single year. You see these mock drafts, which people that talk shit about mock drafts, for the most part, a high percentage of players in that first round mock draft end up going in that first round. Now, just because a guy goes in the first round, like I always say about the round, doesn't necessarily determine where the guy is going to be in three or four years. That is just his value. If you want to draft this player, you have to take him in the top 15, let's say. That does not mean he's going to be some Hall of Fame player. And a lot of teams, maybe in a given draft, don't even like that player. But that is his value, right? Listen, you, you can go see as many homes as you want, right? And you can walk into homes like, I would never buy this home. With the home next to that house sold for whatever, that home is going for a very, very similar amount. And there are certain characteristics, like the moment you run slow, people hate the measurable stuff, right? Like, oh, the 40 so overrated. Well, you could argue it is or it isn't, but that does determine typically your market value in that given draft. And you just have to determine as a scout, well, yeah, Devontae Adams and Keenan Allen ran a little slow. Are those guys such great route runners, they're going to be great players? And it turns out they were, right? Devontae became one of the best receivers in the league, currently is. Keenan's going to have a long, long career. Uh, probably not quite as good as Devontae's, obviously, but hell, he never should have fallen to the third round. But there are a shitload of players who run slow with similar measurements that can't get open, right? So it's 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 very, very difficult to do. And uh, I, I just, I love this time of year with the GMs that are inclusive with their scouts because the scouts have done all the work. And this is a hard time when coaches who have the least amount of exposure to any of the players, right? A lot of the coaches within the last, and I'm not talking the head coach necessarily, I'm talking the assistants, the, the position coaches and the coordinators who kind of get into this process right around the combine. And you might hear a story from a coach on that guy's college staff. You might watch a tape that immediately gets you to fall in love with the guy or vice versa, not to like the guy. And those guys start pounding the table. And let's face it, even if the GM runs the operation, the head coach is usually closer with his position coaches than he is with the scouts that don't even live in the building. So there are a lot of voices coming from a lot of different angles, and it kind of all comes to fruition in a couple of weeks. So I, the GM's job is to kind of balance that, to talk coaches off a ledge, to push back, but also like take in their feedback, especially guys over their careers in that building that have proven to be good evaluators. Because, listen, we talk a lot of shit about GMs being hit or miss of their job. For the, the amount of coaches in the league who I would consider, and I, I bet my buddies in the league would agree, who are quote-unquote good evaluators, is probably less than 50%. So just because you're pounding the table for a player does not mean you know what you're talking about. And that's something that you kind of have to, uh, you got to take it all into account, right? And, and try to balance that out. And listen, sometimes position coaches or coordinators can get in the owner's ear because at the end of the day, the owner is just some rich fan, right? I mean, it's not like he can break down the coverages or the routes he's running. But the moment, you know, your wide receiver coach that he might like a lot, and he's definitely paying a lot, usually a wide receiver coach making like 500 Gs, starts telling you, man, I love this guy. We should draft him in the third round. Well, then maybe he brings it up to the GM or the head coach. So th there's a balancing act. Um, and it's just a really, really fun time of year. And that's why when I see the headline, Bijan Robinson, and I think we've been talking about this for a long time, running back value. Is it worth taking a running back really high in the draft? It's been proven over time that you can take a running back really high and that guy can be a really good player, right? Remember when Todd Gurley, those couple years after he came back from his ACL, how good he was? First couple years of Zeke, 
I thought this guy was going to be Julian Edelman. I was wrong, and I love Julian Edelman, but he's just a better player. It's Christian McCaffrey when he went eighth. I thought that pick was nuts. You can take running backs really high and have them become really, really good players. But the one thing consistently in the draft, it's why for the most part, I'm always anti-taking like a guard in the top 10. That doesn't mean you can take Quentin Nelson and he can be a Hall of Fame player. But when I look at the rest of the draft, you can find guards in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Same with centers. Well, just no different than running backs. How often running backs get drafted in the third, fourth? Hell, Isaiah Pacheco went in the seventh round and was fucking dominating for the Kansas City Chiefs down the stretch. He was awesome. In their run so far, you know, I don't really count Jamal Charles because he doesn't really, you know, carry over to the Mahomes era. But of the Mahomes era, Isaiah Pacheco felt like he kind of changed the game for them, right? Gave them a physical running back. And that's honestly not something Andy's had in, in a while. And they got him in the seventh round. So B. John Robinson, who a lot of people in the NFL, and rightfully so, I have buddies that have gone through Texas. They say, this guy's a stud. He is a stud. You could argue, beside Jalen Carter, he's the second most talented guy in the draft. And I wouldn't argue that. Like, in some drafts, running backs might be the most talented guy in a pool, which is never really ideal. You should have some other players. But I would have a formula, or at least a stance, that, like, I'm not taking running backs in the first round. Just be a non-starter for me. And and I wouldn't get overwhelmed with quote-unquote talent, right? Because I can always find guys. Every single draft. Last year, the Texans, Pierce, uh, fourth round, stud. Uh, The dude, the Falcons took, I think the BYU running back in the sixth or seventh round, stud. Obviously, Pacheco. And they're just examples. It's not one of those where it's like, you know, Brock Purdy, kind of an outlier. Mr. Irrelevant, really good quarterback. Obviously, you're not going to find quarterbacks for the most part in like the sixth, seventh round, who becomes starting quarterbacks. And who knows? I don't even know if Brock Purdy can be a starting quarterback. Time will tell. Obviously, Tom Brady's an all-time outlier. It's why forever the Dak Prescotts, the Cousins, Russell Wilson, the best version of that, like those were rare, to get legit franchise quarterbacks in the third or fourth round. I would just have a simple philosophy. If, if anyone is even close at offensive tackle, at anything on the defensive line, corner, I'd even say tight end, I, like, I'm taking those guys in the first round over a running back. Even if that means like, you know what? Bijan Robinson could be a pro bowler as a rookie. One thing I think that good GMs and good teams do is kind of understand the short term. Because in the short term, you can look foolish in the draft, right? Pass on a guy who's immediately sweet. And part of the draft isn't necessary. Like free agency, I, I signed McGlinchey if I'm the Denver Broncos. He better be good right now which I, that's still one of the craziest contracts ever, but he's got to be my starting right tackle. And for that money, he's got to be an above average, closer to be a pro bowler than average, right? Or else it's just a terrible contract because I'm allocating so much money. We're in a draft. It's not always about the first year. Like sometimes it's about like two years down the line. Look at the Detroit Lions are a good example last year. They took Jamison Williams coming off a torn ACL who didn't really play till the end of the season. Jamison Williams draft pick, was not about 2022. It's about 23, 24, 25, right? Ideally, when you draft a guy in the first round, you want him to impact that his rookie season, Jamar Chase, Waddle, Hutchinson, whoever, right? But it's really about, like, think about Nick Bosa. The 49ers took number two overall. Yeah, he helped in 2019. They got to the Super Bowl, and it was it was sweet, right? And he was an impact player. But, like, it was about the big picture, 
He became a defensive player of the year. He's a guy that you want to give a huge contract extension to, right? You need the guy to have an upside. And I, I just think at running back, it's just proven time and time again that I, I couldn't take him in the first round. And I'll, listen, I, I haven't studied him really, but I've talked to enough people and I watched them. I mean, dude's a stud, right? And, and every single year, there are guys, I guess not every single year, but we have history in the NFL of these really, really good players. Like B. John Robinson could have a huge impact really quickly. It's just really hard to sustain that for a long period of time. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals which make it the best place to hire. I know I'm on it all the time, looking for people, checking out what everyone's doing. Hiring should be easy, and that is where LinkedIn comes in. So the fact that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash J-O-H-N. That's linkedin.com slash J-O-H-N to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Well, like many kids at 16, I got uh, a car that uh, came from my grandpa. It wouldn't have been my first choice, but because I was 16, had no money, I didn't have a choice, I took it. And then I personalized it. I tinted those windows. I put in multiple 12-inch subwoofers in the back so my parents and everyone else in the neighborhood could hear me coming from across town. And I turned that thing into something at first that I was like, I want something better. To essentially my dream ride at the time because I had a car at 16. Can't Hard to complain. One of my favorite parts about car culture is regardless of the car you're given when you're young, you can find a way to make it cool. And that's what any young, innovative individual will do. I don't care what you're rolling in. And with over 122 million parts, for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another thing I've seen is I've just seen a lot of, you know, in co- with coaching, 
whether it be position coaches, coordinators, or obviously head coaches, those guys uh, cycle like their contracts end at the end of the season. So it's why you see a lot of guys that get fired. It's not even just head coaches, position coaches at the end of either their playoff run or the regular season when teams, you know, don't make the playoffs. Where in scouting, and listen, I can attest to this because it happened to me, you are relieved of your duties or you don't have your contract renewed or extended or whatever after the draft. And I think one thing I've seen with Sean Payton, who I, you know, we don't really know how much Belichick makes. I would imagine Andy Reid, you know, if I'm if, if I'm Andy Reid, like I, I can't make less than this guy. Uh, but Sean Payton clearly is one of the top two or three highest paid coaches in the league, making $18 million. But it's not even that he's making $18 million. Like Sean Payton's the boss, right? The boss. And just because you have a title, and I'll never forget li- living with a buddy that uh, worked in finance about a decade ago. He really, really fought for a title at you know one of the big banks. Like he, he was in commercial real estate. And he's like, you know, it was so meaningless, my title. What, what I should, you could have called me an intern. I should have fought for power slash money. That, that's all that really matters, right? And I think George Payton right now, the Broncos general manager, who like a Ballard was in the cycle for a long period of time and was a guy people went after, was a guy thought it was inevitable, was going to be a general manager. And he eventually became one and got to hire his own coach. And then it was a disaster. Now, part of the reason they hired Nathaniel Hackett last year is they thought they were going to get Aaron Rodgers. And they ended up getting Russell Wilson. And it, it blew up in their face. And because of it, and obviously they got new owners who have long checkbooks and a ton of cash. Those guys hired Sean Payton. And one thing to keep an eye on is, you think Sean Payton's just going to have a guy that he doesn't know when this is his last job? Like, he's this is it. And it's one of the premier franchises in the league. He's getting paid a ton of money. Be his general manager. Like, I don't know this. I don't have any inside information. But I think that feels like, I wonder if we get a new general manager in there come, you know, after the draft. And you look around the league, some of these new coaches, some of these players, and I was reading some of Albert Breer did a mailbag, like, get ready. There's going to be some turnover. And it's not quite as popular and the headlines don't, unless it's a super famous general manager, do what coaching, you know, talking about guys on the hot seat, Black Monday, and then there's nothing quite like coaches. Because let's face it, when when these general managers get hired, Ossie Mosenfort, Rand Carthen, right, this offseason, you, you don't know really know who those guys are. We just don't. And the one thing is, even if you do know who those guys are, like you're a diehard NFL fan, you follow that individual team of that guy that gets a job, you don't really know, like, is he good at his job? What's he like? I'll never forget. One thing I love about what I do now relative to when I worked in football is no one knew if I was any good or not. No one had any clue. Like, is this guy a good scout? Is this guy a hard worker? What's this guy's deal? No one has any clue but the people in that building. Yet everything I've done since I've left football, whether it was my radio show or now in the podcast world, you know, like I'm either good, I'm not good. My, my podcast generate revenue, right? I got good takes. I'm entertaining. I get a lot of people to listen, whatever. Like it's very quantifiable. I'm in control of that. And that's what I think in the world of scouting, right? You don't control that much stuff because the moment a coach comes in that makes way more and was hired because you screwed up a hire, good luck, buddy, right? And the one thing is George Payton might be good at his job, 
But the only thing is if Sean Payton fires him, which they won't make it sound like that, but that will be what happened. The only thing he'll ever be remembered for again, especially if Russell Wilson's career never returns, will be for making one of the worst trades in the history of the league. And having John Schneider, who has a pretty long resume of success, absolutely fleecing him. Like, I mean, destroying him in a trade. And like a lot of GMs, if you get to do it for a long time, like Howie Roseman's got a lot of transactions on his belt. He's done a lot of moves. John Lynch now has been there seven years. A lot of moves. Less need. Ton of moves. Right? So you go, this one worked. This one didn't work. They didn't really have the one. And and that one, if it doesn't get turned around, will be really, really ugly. And, And something that's, unless they get lightning in a bottle, will be something that's very, very hard to overcome. So... A lot of scouts that have new coaches, potentially new personnel people. It's just kind of a shitty time. Like, I'll never forget that feeling uh, of just kind of knowing I was in trouble, but I was young. I didn't know what to do. Now, it depends. Some some scouts are older and have more connections. You feel good. I've always believed this. If they don't want you there, you shouldn't want to be there. Like, that's that's not a way to live. Life's too short, right? And it's it's a lesson that I learned. Best thing that ever happened to me. But at the time, right, you're like, I'm getting fired. Like all I've ever done in my life is achieve. And I, my family and friends don't work in sports. So they're like, wait, you get fired. That usually means you're bad at your job or you show up late or whatever. You're like, that's not the case. New personnel people. Chip Kelly doesn't like me. Thought Matt Barkley was good. And, you know, I, I could see Peyton thinking if he does get fired, like I never even got really a fair chance. And I'd argue you hired Hackett. And you can say that it was couched in the move happened because it was all about the next move, but that move didn't happen. And it had major ripple effects. And, you know, you make a move of that magnitude and it doesn't work out. Like, I, I don't feel that much sympathy. Uh, a couple other nuggets. I saw there's a picture. You know, a lot of guys in the offseason live in Los Angeles. Don't totally blame them. I mean, it's, I, as someone, you know, born and raised in Northern California, Used to talk a ton of shit about L.A., right? And it was mainly sports-related. I hated the Dodgers, hated the Lakers, hated the Lakers. And then I've gone down there a couple times in my uh, in my 30s, especially the last like three or four years when I've had a little more money, stayed in a little nicer areas. I'm like, I kind of get it. <laughs> Manhattan Beach, Newport Beach, e- even, listen, I'm, I'm no Hollywood snob, but you drive through the hills of Hollywood, you're like, damn, some pretty sweet pads. <laughs> I get it. It's it's just nicer in Northern California. Not really debatable. It, it just is. They got the ocean. We kind of do, but not really. It's really dreary, ugly, and cold. Like, it ain't cold in LA. Uh, now, listen, I'm, I've actually left California, but if I ever were to go back, it would be straight to Newport Beach, right? And hopefully be like Freddie Couples' neighbor. Play golf with them. But UCLA... They, they've always got, you know, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, these quarterbacks in the offseason train there because a lot of them have offseason homes, you know, on the ocean. Uh, not a bad place to, you know, spend a couple of months. And there was a picture, there was this video that went viral in 49 or, you know, social media land of Trey Lance working on his mechanics and he's working out with Patrick Mahomes. And UCLA, they got this guy to flip. His name is Dante Moore. And I don't pretend to be some, you know, I'm not rivals.com uh, encyclopedia here, but. I follow enough of the big time programs when there's a name or two. I'm like, damn, this guy was supposed to go to Oregon. Big five star recruit, fourth overall player in the country. Flipped last minute and went to UCLA. A big, big get for Chip Kelly. And I I just knew highly touted guy could have gone anywhere. Just watched some of his highlights. Very talented. This picture of him standing next to Trey Lance and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes like 28 years old. 
Dude's been lifting in the NFL, eating like a pro athlete now for five, six years. Trey Lance has been in the NFL several years, and naturally he's a pretty big dude. This guy's right between them and doesn't look that different from the two of them. Then I Googled, how old is this guy? He was born in 2005. He's 17 years old. Like UCLA, honestly, kind of looks like Caleb Williams. Physically, he's thick. Uh, Caleb's got a better arm just based on this YouTube highlight. But holy cannoli, this guy looks like a beast. Keep an eye on Dante Moore just based on one picture standing next to Mahomes and standing next to Trey Lance. The Titans signed Jeffrey Simmons, who I don't really think they had a choice. Like, what are you going to do? Let one of the better players you've had in recent memory leave the door? Uh, because you did that with A.J. Brown. I mean, you didn't let him leave, uh, but you definitely opened the door and traded him. So, new GM, but this is a no-brainer. You just don't trade guys of this talent. I think the back last two years, he's been uh, second-team All-Pro. He's a beast. I mean, absolute stud. No-brainer. Four years, like 90 million bucks. Probably one of the easiest contracts they'll ever do. And last but not least, uh, Kyler Murray was... Uh, he was cleared, not cleared to play football, but cleared to like start training, start rehab. I'd say that's pretty positive. I think it's 13 weeks since the surgery. So we'll see. I mean, this is a guy, it's April 10th. A lot of people don't think he's going to be ready for the season. You know, depending on how the season goes, would they tank the year? Uh, that would put them in a weird situation given that they would, you know, if they got the number one or number two overall pick, would they just take a quarterback, new GM? But this guy healthy, I, I saw Steve Kime, you know, the former GM, had said on Chris Long's podcast that, you know, off the field, you know, Kyler, you know, the tape study, some of that stuff is an area for growth. Like, you know, if that's going to be an area for growth, that's one of the worst contracts of all time. How do you give a quarterback that much money who needs to work on the intangible stuff of playing quarterback? Right. I, I get it. If, you know, we can work on the accuracy a little bit or, you know, certain plays he can improve on, but like doesn't like studying tape, which he said that was a room for growth. This year, you know, it's just a fascinating situation with Kyler Murray. Uh, that contract feels like it has a potential to age very, very poorly. I know most people in the league think they're the worst team, not just on paper, but just their whole situation. It, it could just be an utter disaster. But if it's an utter disaster, his contract's an utter disaster. So, We'll see how that thing ages because right now it doesn't feel like it's aging, you know, that gracefully. Okay, let's dive into a little thing that we like to call the Middlecoff mailbag. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram handle. Direct messages, also known as the DMs, are wide freaking open. Fire on in there and get your question answered here on the podcast. And we put out a mailbag, a mailbag only, on Sunday during Master Sunday. And we, we throw one on here at the podcast on Tuesdays as well. Start with Michael. Good afternoon, sir. I read an article that Tom Jensen, in, uh, in it, he said, I don't know who Tom Jensen is, the 49ers would trade Lance for a pick in the 60-70 range. The Texans have the 65 and 73rd pick. They could easily trade for Lance. This would free them up to get Will Anderson at number two. Question one. How close do the evaluations of the quarterbacks have to be to make Lance worth trading? Two, how much more weight should Casario put into the hands on experience of Ryans and Slowicks over the scouting department? Three, where do you personally rank the value of Lance 
plus Anderson versus Stroud, Young, or Richardson? It's an in-depth question. If the Texans with Slowick and Ryan pass on a cheap lance, should this be a warning flag to other teams? Sorry for so many questions. Well, I don't know if you listen to some like in-depth podcasts. I'm a Will Anderson fan. I've just watched him for a couple years. Now, I do think there is some pushback in league circles how good he is. Now, I think he is just going to be a really solid pro. But I, even as a big fan, like he's not Von Miller. You know, he's not Nick Bosa. He's not Miles Garrett. There is a chance that a lot of teams don't view him as a top five pick. Probably more in like 12 to 18 range. Now, I bet he goes, you know, seven, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. But I don't think he's a lock to go in the top five. Now, the thing with Lance is Slowick and D'Amico would know, obviously, Trey very, very well. Now, D'Amico now has a lot of juice. Uh, I I don't think that they are going to force feed this one. Now, if D'Amico and Slowick loved him, which I'm not sure they do, trading a third-round pick for him doesn't really tie you to the guy for long. So, you know, I, I would imagine my, my best guess on the Texans is I don't know if they're going to force feed a quarterback. You know, I mean, I think if the guy they want is there at number two, uh, the betting markets now have Bryce Young likely to go number one overall. It's hard to it's hard to truly know unless the story breaks. You know, at first we thought it was C.J. Stroud. Now the betting markets kind of lean to to Bryce. You know, do the Texans like C.J. Would could could Casario and D'Amico take you know Anthony Richardson or Will Levis there? You know, I, I don't know. I, I think trading a third-round pick, if you thought the guy was pretty good is or has a lot of upside, is an easy move to make. Now, I also think that the most valuable part of all these rookie quarterbacks, including Trey Lance, when you draft them, is their contract. So Trey Lance, you could get two years to work with the guy. The thing is with the 49ers, I don't think it's worth it for them to trade you know, pass pick, whatever, 62, is a third-round pick. Brock Purdy's injured, cannot throw currently. He has an arm brace that looks like he's Barry Bonds on. And the other quarterback on their roster, who I'm bullish on, is still got a long way to go, is Sam Darnold. So, to me, the 49ers, it's not worth it for them. They have three third-round picks because of the minority hires. So, for me, the 49ers, the only way it would be worth trading Trey Lance would be like a top 40 pick, and they're just not getting that right now. So given that they still have quarterback questions, why wouldn't they just work with the guy and see if there's anything left and see if you know, see if there's anything to kind of pull out of there that after these first two years have been rocky? See if he can beat out Sam Darnold. Now, if he doesn't beat at Sam Darnold, like his, his value craters, but I think his value to the, to the Niners is clearly more than it is league-wide. Because to me, I would not trade him for pick, I don't know exact, the exact pick, 73. I, you, I guess you wrote it down. Yeah, pick 73. I wouldn't do that if I was the 49ers. Or pick 65. I, I just would mess with, I, I would, when I say mess with him, like still try to coach him up, see what he looks like this offseason in a competition. Uh, now, if you offered me pick 34, you know, I, I'd have to think about it. But even then, it, it'd be risky. So I, I think the Texans... Kind of longer runway now with D'Amico. You know, the last two years, let's face it, have been embarrassing. 
David Culley is an all-timer. Now, no one would touch the job. Even last year with the Watson situation was kind of tough. But D'Amico's going to be head coach for a while. And I think you can kind of play it long view. You know, as shitty as it sounds, like if you don't like one of the quarterbacks, when you're picking it too, like if the guy you like and you're like, you know, I don't love Will Levis or Anthony Richardson and we don't think C.J. Stroud's good enough, I think trading back would be on the table for the Houston Texans. Right? There are a lot of rumors that Arizona's open for business. Well, depending on who goes one, what if the Texans are open for business? And I would imagine they would be, especially with all the picks they have. This is hard to hear because how bad the last couple years have been, but I think you've got to look at it like the rebuild starts kind of now. Like picking the players with all these picks, with the head coach that you have. Uh, so kind of buckle up, which is hard to hear because you guys have been so terrible. But I, I think it's time to just see where D'Amico can take you. Question for the pot. I'm not trying to put a guy down, but how can a team possibly take Bryce Young as the first or second quarterback off the board? He put up good numbers, but playing for either the best or second best team in the country with arguably the best coach in the nation and the best set of wide receivers in the nation, minus Ohio State. I think the pushback would be not this year. Two years ago, they had Jamison Williams and Mechie, so they, they clearly were pretty good. But this year, I, I don't think their skill guys were viewed anywhere near Ohio State. And a guy who's 5'10", 175. I want to see him succeed. But it's just not common enough to bet that highly on him. If he went to North Dakota State or another small, small school, I can't imagine he'd be, one, as good, and two, thought of that high in the draft. Would you take him one or two if you needed a quarterback? Or would you take a chance on a bigger guy who had less to work with in college, i.e. Richardson or Levis? Now, I've said over and over, I lean big. I like my guys to be look like Josh Allen, to look like Justin Herbert. I like building a football team, just like I like building a baseball team or a basketball team with size. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't outliers, right? Like Draymond Green, every year when he's healthy, he's in the mix to be Defensive Player of the Year. He's like a 6'6 center, right? Clay Thompson is taller than him. He's an outlier, right? Like I, I like big, I like guys that look like Jacob deGrom, Right, But Tim Lincecum, for a couple years, was rattling off Cy Youngs. Pedro Martinez was tiny. So there are outliers that are smaller. In your example of, what if he went to North Dakota State? Well, I think the hard part about saying that is, he never would have gone to North Dakota State. Why? He was one of the best prospects in the country. Why? He's elite at his sport. Elite. So to be that highly touted, at that size, shows you how good he is. Like, his talent is all the stuff that are hard to quantify. Football intelligence, seeing the field, understanding defenses, instincts, playmaking ability, accuracy. Like, as a football player, he's dominant. The reason Trey Lance had to go to North Dakota State and not a Power 5 program, because no one thought he was good enough. He wasn't a good enough prospect. Josh Allen. Now, just because you're a good prospect or not a good prospect does not determine your future success. So I'm not trying to say just because Bryce was a big prospect and Bryce played at Alabama, guarantees that he's going to be a good player, right? Tua, elite prospect, goes to Bama. I think we can debate him all day long. Clearly is solid, but has the concussion issues. But I, I think that also falls under the umbrella. Like Bryce, is he going to get killed? You know, and I know people who love him, and I know an executive that does not like him at all and thinks that the size is, is such a huge red flag that you can't overcome it. And it's just one of those debates. It's just going to be one of those debates. 
Because for the most part, when a guy walks in at a quarterback as a quarterback and he's 6'3 to 6'5, big athlete, can move, like that guy, people are going to bet on that more often than not. But I, I do think there are outliers. Now, there's the old adage of like, you know, build, you keep drafting outliers, you have a whole team of them. And that's when you get in trouble. So you keep making exceptions, you have a whole team full of exceptions. I, it's a hard balance. I, I don't have the exact answer. I think the guy's going to be a really good player. But I, I, I'll be the first to acknowledge, like, if Jeffrey Simmons, you know, gets his hands on him, he could shove him to the ground hard and hurt him. Right? But I'd argue if Jeffrey Simmons gets his hands on Justin Herbert, he could break his ribs too. So it's football. Um, you know, I, now he's he got hurt with a shoulder injury. Uh, you know, the, the, the executive that wasn't that big of a fan of Bryce, his thing was, if you really watch him after he got hurt, he wasn't quite the same player. And his point was like, yeah, you know, guys get hurt. It's, it's hard to get, you know, keep dominating. But that's the concern. You know, bigger athletes sometimes heal faster. Again, in theory, these are not, this is why what makes the draft so difficult. I watch a lot of Alabama. Why? I love watching the SEC. I think as a player in a vacuum, if we can remove his height, he is the best quarterback Nick Saban's had by a wide margin. I think he's a dramatically better player than Tua, even in college. But you got to factor in, like the NFL and drafting is about more than just how good were you in college. It's about projecting. uh, You know, his arm, I, I think, is viewed as good, not great. So you're not alone. You are not alone. And I know people that are really high on Will Levis. And there are some people that do not like Will Levis. It's what makes the draft so cool. Like, I, I, I thought Will Levis was sweet coming into the year. So I watched some Kentucky games. It was not pretty. It was not pretty. But unlike Bryce, for example, who had Bill O'Brien as coordinator, Will Levis had Rich Scangarello, who, I've said this over and over now, is not viewed as a good coordinator and got fired immediately after the season. And the other thing Will Levis fans will say, and I, I'm kind of more on the fence on Will Levis, like I, those type guys typically let you down, is like he did not have very good receivers. His best offensive player was a running back who was suspended earlier in the season. His offensive line was terrible. That's why in these draft meetings, and I, I've seen it, and I talk to buddies when we're discussing players, you can, beside like the occasional you know, superstar player that's can't miss, right? Um, an Andrew Luck, a Miles Garrett, like a guy that's just going to be immediately good. You can make a case or fight against, it's not just the middle round guys that get argued, like the top 10 guys get argued. Like, is this guy going to be that good? Remember, Jamar Chase was a polarizing prospect. Micah Parsons went 12 or 11, right? Maybe 12, I think Justin Fields went 11. I think Bryce... Like, I, I think he's going to go, you know, I'll be stunned if he doesn't go in the top two. Um, like I said, the betting markets now have him won. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. And I lean bigger, stronger athletes. But I think his ability to play outweighs his size. Concern for sure. I would draft him. I'd be nervous drafting. But the, you, you know what made me nervous in football? The, the, I hated the anxiety. I still do as like when I go to 49er practices. When a guy's injured, it's just, I hate that feeling. I don't know how general managers, coaches get numb to it, but executives, 
Because it's not like you're even coaching the team. You're just kind of standing there watching, no different than you would as a fan or me as a podcaster if you go to practice. When a guy's just lying there on the ground, it's, it's a terrible feeling. No different, obviously, in games, too. It sucks. You just never know. There's no formula. And maybe some teams have algorithms that give them the likelihood. You know, obviously, if a guy's torn his ACL a couple times, you would say, like, you can't be surprised when he tore, tore his ACL. But there are guys that never get injured in college, never been injured in high school, immediately come to the pros and tear an ACL. And then there are guys that have been injured multiple times in college, go on to have durable careers. I mean, you're just taking educated guesses that it's hard to be that educated because you have no fucking clue. My husband, Daniel, is a big fan of your podcast. He listens to every episode of Three and Out and Go Low. He was recently injured during military training and is stuck in bed recovering from surgery. I know your podcasts have been a good way for him to pass the time while recovering. Can you please give him a shout out? America, we appreciate you, Daniel. Uh, you're the man. Get better. Hopefully, laying in bed. Hopefully, you're not injured too badly. Just, you know, maybe a knee injury or something. You recover. You're going to be okay. As a mailbag question, what NFL player is poised to make a good big comeback from an injury last season? It's a good question. I'd have to think about the guys who were injured around the league. Uh... You know, listen, he, he I guess he didn't miss that much time during the season. Did he just miss the last game of the season? But Russell Wilson had, you know, a knee surgery after the year. And a lot of people, you know, that defend Russell say, you know, he was banged up. He wasn't right all year. He's not going to have excuses in 2023. He's got a legitimate offensive coach. He's got offensive weapons. Their team, in theory, should be pretty talented. It, hell, it was talented last year. I, I, he's either going to be like his arrow. He's just done and he's just going to be a shell of himself. And that, that Russell Wilson that we saw and listen, I, I enjoyed Russell was one of my favorite players to watch of my life. Cause he reminded me so much of kind of like a Steve young, but he threw this beautiful deep ball. Not that Steve didn't, but Russell just was even better. He was just such an incredible playmaker. Uh, if that guy's gone kind of sad, but if I told you like he's good next year, That'll be one of the topics, I mean, the, the heavy topics of the NFL because that team is going to play in a bunch of big games. They're going to be on primetime several times, especially early in the season with Sean Payton back. Um, I'm fascinated on the Denver Broncos. I really am. I, I think that division, everyone's going to pick the Chiefs. We should. They're going to win the division. They always do. But the other three teams, like Brandon Staley, I mean, hot seat when the season starts. Like, you got to win a playoff game. Um... Uh, the Raiders, are Josh McDaniels, what the hell is going to happen there? And this Sean Payton, Russell Wilson marriage. I think that division, man. I'm, I'm, I got a soft spot for it, right? I like, I'm an NFC West guy, AFC West guy. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. 
Limitations apply. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Well, like many kids at 16, I got uh, a car that uh, came from my grandpa. It wouldn't have been my first choice, but because I was 16 and had no money, I didn't have a choice, I took it. And then I personalized it. I tinted those windows. I put in multiple 12-inch subwoofers in the back so my parents and everyone else in the neighborhood could hear me coming from across town. And I turned that thing into something at first that I was like, I want something better to essentially my dream ride at the time because I had a car at 16. Can't Hard to complain. One of my favorite parts about car culture is regardless of the car you're given when you're young, you can find a way to make it cool. And that's what any young, innovative individual will do. I don't care what you're rolling in. And with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time. Every time or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I will preface this with I'm a huge Seattle fan. Bobby Wagner isn't a borderline Hall of Famer. He is a first ballot slam dunk. That bas- that backpack must have really offended. Uh, keep up the great work and love the show. Now, okay, let me just bring up Bobby Wagner. Who, listen, when I said he, he's a borderline Hall of Famer, I wasn't trying to diminish his accomplishments. I think he's an excellent player. He's a six-time first-team All-Pro and three-time second-team All-Pro. Okay, and multiple-time tackles leader, NFL All-Decades team. You're probably right. Locke, first ballot Hall of Famer, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. So did I, did I misspeak? Did I not hold him with enough reverence? You're probably right. I mean, there, there are some linebackers. Now, Patrick Willis's career was more short-lived. One thing Bobby's going to have is longevity, though, let's face it. He's not quite as good as he once was. Uh, still an excellent player. But I don't know if he's a first ballot slam dunk. He's definitely a Hall of Fame slam dunk. So I, I will take that back. Hall of Fame slam dunk. Uh, Yeah. I don't have IG, but my dog does. So I'm sending it from the dog's account. Let's see the little doggy. Oh, it's a good looking pup. Yeah, very good looking pup. Okay. If Drake and Caleb Williams were available in this draft, would they go one and two? And CJ Stroud and Bryce Young would go after them. Curious. How these quarterbacks are since the consensus in last year's draft was that all five quarterbacks taken in the 2021 draft, including Mac Jones, would go ahead of Pickett and the rest of the quarterbacks in 2022. Love the show. Well, I do think, and I'm not going to hear and pound the table for Mac Jones, who, let's face it, a lot of reports coming out that Mac Jones is going to have to get his shit together. Kenny Pickett didn't go to, if I remember correctly, pick 20 which is very, very rare in a draft for a quarterback, a quarterback in a quarterback league, to not go to pick 20. Now, we'll see. Maybe Kenny Pickett 
turns out to be, you know, Kirk Cousins. And I know a lot of Pittsburgh Steelers fans are very bullish on him, and rightfully so. Uh, so we'll see. Time, time will tell. Big year for Kenny Pickett because a lot of people are going to expect the Pittsburgh Steelers to be back in the playoff mix. And if they are, he'll obviously, I would imagine, play pretty well to get them there. When you look at this draft, there is zero debate that Caleb Williams, I mean none, would be the number one overall pick. I'd be lying if I said I watched a ton of Drake May. Not the biggest like North Carolina. I don't really watch that much ACC football. But I watched enough and I talked to enough people to say yes. I'm not saying there's going to be a debate this year. But I do think that a lot of people are going to talk about Drake May. You know what happens in basketball sometimes? Like Zion Williamson felt like a lock to go number one, really, since that Duke season started. But by the end, it was like, you know, John Morant, you know, he's definitely going number two. And you could have debates in the war room. And I do think that that, assuming that he has another really good season, there's some of that going on with Drake. I expect Halo to be one. But if Drake has another big year... I bet he's thought of like some major every single year going number one overall, except in drafts with like Andrew Lux and Caleb Williams. So yes, I think it's fair to say that if those two guys were in this draft, they would 100% go above all these guys. Now I've said over and over, I like Bryce the most just because I think he's the best player, but he's not a great prospect, like an all-time prospect because of his size. And it's not just his height, obviously, it's his weight. I mean, part of what makes Elway, Manning, and the thing with Peyton Manning, who became, you know, it felt like pretty early in his career, like wasn't a good athlete anymore. If you're ever bored, you know, or just like at the office, need something to kind of pass the time, just YouTube Peyton Manning, Tennessee, senior year. Watch that fucking guy move around. Actually, pretty good athlete in college. Obviously, John Elway, great athlete. Andrew Luck, great athlete. Trevor Lawrence, fantastic athlete. Those guys, size, girth, arm, I mean, they check every box, right? Part of what makes, for example, like the dude that's coming from France in the NBA, it's like he's 7'4". He can shoot, he can run, he can jump, right? Andrew Luck, he's 6'5", he's 240, he can move, he's accurate, the arm. Part of what makes a great prospect is there aren't any holes. The majority of prospects have a question. Hell, Nick Bosa, I remember when the Niners draft, was like, well, tore his ACL in high school and then missed his junior year for ripping his groin. And that was like, he had an injury concerns. And then ironically, he got drafted, immediately hurt in, in like uh, OTAs. I think he like pulled a hamstring. And then I think by his second year, he got injured again. But, you know, a couple years later, defensive player of the year, whatever. You live with it. But most players, the overwhelming majority of sweet players, have question marks, right? It is very, very rare to have a guy that's just like, this guy's perfect, right? That speaks for anyone, right? How often do the best people in any field, the best coach, like Belichick's personality, not great. Steve Jobs, pretty big asshole, (laughs) right? I mean, you, you could go around any industry and be like, yeah, this guy's got some red flags and he's the best in his business, right? Like Patrick Mahomes, what's his red flag? Honestly, he doesn't really feel like he has one. Great guy, great player, incredible playmaker, accurate, big arm, <laughs> winner, <laughs> dominant competitor. People love him. He, he's probably one of the rare ones. Even Tom, like Tom couldn't really move. No, it didn't matter. They figured it out. But like, 
not the perfect player, but you could argue Patrick Mahomes is much more the perfect player. The, I would say his only knock is like, you give him a couple more inches, but like he already is the most unstoppable player going. So it's just, it's a fun time of year. And, and then what makes this year unique is, you know, this draft's not great, right? And this draft's got some issues. So, and that's, most drafts do, but this, it feels like the high, high-end players, there aren't as many of them. And you can, you can nitpick, you know, whether it's Will Anderson, whether it's some of the tight ends, whether it's the offensive lineman. I don't think it's a great offensive lineman draft. I mean, it really makes a great draft, right? Is anytime there's several quarterbacks that viewed as franchise quarterbacks, but are there a couple franchise left tackles? Are there a couple franchise edge rushers? Like, can you get a draft with Lane Johnson, Trent Williams? I, I, obviously, these guys are in different drafts, but guys that can just be viewed 10-year Pro Bowl-level tackles, multiple All-Pro-level pass rushers, a couple sweet corners, right? Can I, can I get a corner that's just going to be a lockdown corner for a long period of time? And a lot of times, we view guys, and this is what makes it so fascinating, is like, this guy is going to be a lockdown corner for a long time. And then you draft him like in the top 10 and a couple years later, like this guy kind of stinks. This guy can't cover anybody. It's like, what are we doing? He's getting smoked every play. Happens all the time, man. Um, so everyone will be excited for the most part on draft day. And then a couple years later, if you're a fan of that given team that missed on the player, you'll hate the guy. You'll be like, can't wait to get rid of him. And you have to either pay a free agent or draft another guy at that position to try to figure it out. Appreciate everyone listening. Let's have a good week. And, uh, we will the game plan. We'll have a we'll have a golf podcast out Wednesday, and then we'll have another football podcast out at the end of the week. Adios. The volume. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are, or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply.